Well, good morning. We're uh, we're going to be looking at First uh, Peter chapter three, verses eight through twelve, which closes out, which basically closes out the section on submission. Uh, Peter has thus far told us that uh, that we are to be submitted to government, uh, we are to be submitted in the workplace, and he gave lessons on submission in the home as well. And and here he kind of brings that brings that to a close by giving the conduct uh, uh, of one who is submitted to, to God and is following, following his, uh, his word. Uh, he also gives the motivation behind it, and then he gives the evidence for it from the Old Testament. So um, while we will be in the New Testament, we're going to spend a lot of, times in, a lot of our time in Psalm 34, because the last three verses are quoted out of Psalm 34 as evidence for what he is teaching in verses 8 and 9. So, I mean, he, he, he teaches two verses and gives three Old Testament verses as to why, uh, or the evidence for it. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. That's where we're going to be going. So you might, uh, if, you're, if you're following along in your, in your Bibles, you might want to, as we get to those final, that final section, uh, you might want to put your finger in Psalm 34. I know we might be there more than we are in First Peter. Uh, but at any rate, <clears throat> at any rate, that's the, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the text for this morning. So um, before we get too involved, uh, are there any, uh, any prayer requests this morning? David, would you open us this morning in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that we have been given to assemble as your body and to hear your words proclaimed to us, taught us. Thank you for John, who is prepared to, uh, to teach us this morning from First Peter. Thank you so much for Steve, who has returned safely with his family and ready yeah. to proclaim the word of God to us uh, in the morning service. We thank you for the opportunity to be called your children and to open this word and to hear it and to understand it. And we thank you that the whole world doesn't have that blessing. That we do because you have regenerated our hearts and you have called us uh, to be obedient to you. You've called us to to love you and to show that through obedience. And so we would ask that you would make us more obedient this morning. Help us to know your word even better so that we might bring worship to you. We bring before you Larry... Uh, we ask that you would be with him and, and the doctors as, as they give him medicine to try to remove these blood clots. <coughs> pray that you would strengthen him and uh, that you would keep him safe during this time, that there be no stroke or no heart attack or any other, other issue, <coughs> that you would uh, give the doctors the wisdom they need to, to take care of him. We pray for Kathy that you would strengthen her and her faith and that you would allow her to, uh, to, to remain fixed, her eyes fixed upon you and encouraging to her husband during this time. We thank you for all the sick that are in our number and all those that are not able to be here this morning. And we, we ask that you would be, be kind and gracious to them as well, that you would uh, strengthen them and, and lift them up. And I pray that they're able to hear the sermon preached from their homes and, or from their, uh, wherever they're at, that they would be encouraged by the Word of God. And we thank you for this day. Again, it's a blessing to be here, to be together, to worship you, our Savior and our King. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> I, um, I ask your apology in advance. I've had a sinus infection, which is cleared up, but I've still got this nagging cough. So hopefully my throat will last through the, uh, through the morning. Or you might pray that it doesn't. It, de- it depends on what you want. But at any rate. At any rate, so let's look at verse 8, first of all. And we, I, I, I call this section living in harmony. He says, now to sum up. 
All of you be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, and humble in spirit. And here he's going to give us five uh, imperatives. These are commands uh, of, of what our behavior is to be like. And he begins out by saying, now to sum up. In other words, what he's saying to us is this could be translated by just one word, finally. Uh, he's saying, having gone through this section, starting back in 2.13, in which he, he called us to be submissive to government, that all believers have a responsibility to be submissive to those authorities which God has put into place. That's basically basically the theme. The Romans, uh, there is no authority except God-established authority. That's ultimately the, uh, the bottom line uh, in submission. We are to be in submission. He says we are to be in submission to government in verses uh, 13 through 20. And then he says, and of course, he was writing to the Roman world in which approximately half of the world were slaves. And he, and he, says, he says that slaves are to be in submission to their masters. And he gives some delineation on how, how, a, how a saved slave is to behave toward his master. And he is to work hard. And we can translate that into today's society, uh, our places of employment. We are to, those who are employees are to behave in a certain manner. That is, they're not to just try to uh, uh, be man-pleasers, but they are to be... uh, diligent workers and and the employers that they have a responsibility to be good employers and take care of those people who work for them those 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 kind of things were involved in that submission and it it recognizes in every case it recognizes that whoever you are to be submitted to they're submitted to someone else and ultimately they're submitted to Christ or and or if they're non-believer they face face the wrath of God so those things are those things are all involved in that submission. And then finally, in 3, 1 through 8 that we looked at last time, uh, there's submission within the home, within the marriage relationship. Uh, wives are to submit to their husbands. In this particular case, he gave a special emphasis on it, though. It wasn't just the domestic relationship of how the home was supposed to, to operate, but he points out the behavior of a believing wife before an unbelieving husband and how that behavior can be used to ultimately win him to the Lord. So there, it had a very specific direction to it. And then it went on to speak to the husband in just one short verse that was super packed because it basically says, you know, she's to submit to you, but you're accountable (laughs) and you need to to do all the things that are right uh, before God. So uh, now he's going to come to a close. He's going to bring this this section, this section to a close. And in this first section or in this first verse, verse eight, he's going to get five admonitions on proper Christian behavior. Uh, The attitude by which those and then in the second part, in verse 9, he's going to give the attitude for, by which those behaviors are to, are to be conducted. And then finally, in verses 10 through 12, quoting from Psalm 34, he's going to, he's going to present that as the, the, uh, as the evidence that this is always the way it has been with God. This is, this is always the way uh, it, is to, it, is to, it is to operate. So he begins, he says, he says, then finally, or now to sum up, 
And then he says, all of you. That means all of us. It means you and me and everybody else who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. All of us. All believers. Uh, there's no exception. There's no one ex- ex- exempt uh, from, this, uh, from this passage. Are to be like-minded. That's the first thing he says. You're to be like-minded. It doesn't necessarily mean that we all think the same. It doesn't mean that we're all programmed with the same, uh, the same processes, if you will. It doesn't mean that we all think exactly the same thing about everything. It doesn't, doesn't really mean that. In fact, that's evident, <clears throat> that's evident uh, from Paul's writing to the Philippian church in chapter 3. In, in chapter 3, of verse 15 of Philippians, he says this, he says, Let us therefore, as many as perfect, think this way, and if in anything you think differently, God will reveal it, will reveal that also to you. In other words, you may have some differences of opinion. However, look at the better, the bigger context of this, and you get an idea of what he's saying here uh, a little better. Paul, first of all, says in verse 14, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. Pressing toward the gold. That's, that's the context here. He says, pressing toward the gold. And then if, and he says, and if, if you think a different way about that, ultimately is what he's saying here. If you have a different opinion about how that is achieved or, or whether that really should be the goal, he says, uh, he says, may God reveal it to you. May God put us all in the same step, is what he's saying here. He says, however, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. In other words, there is a certain standard all of us are to follow. We don't always have to have the same the same idea about how something is done. We don't always have to have the same idea about uh, how um, we approach certain things. Uh, we don't always have to say see the same way something applies. But necessary, but we are to have the same mindset. Uh, that's the idea here. We are to be like-minded. We are to be. We are be to thinking together toward. Our sanctification in Christ in this life and our ultimate glorification to be with him in the life to come. And that during this life, we are involved in the gospel ministry. That's the that's the goal that he's talking about here. He says he says uh, he also goes on in Philippians earlier in Philippians in chapter two. In chapter two, verse two. And he says he tells us this. He says. Fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking with one purpose. And there he tells you how this thinking works together. He says, uh, he says that we maintain the same love, the, the same love for the brethren. That's the idea here that he's going to actually bring up in a couple more of his, of his admonitions here. He says, maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, operating jointly together under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, thinking on one purpose, which is ultimately the gospel ministry, of course, that he's talking about here. The idea is that Christians are not to be in conflict with one another. In chapter 1, verses 27 through 28 of Philippians, he says, Only live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you 
uh, or, or, or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstance, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one, one mind contending, contending together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarming, uh, alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that, too, from God. And the idea here, once again, this whole idea of being like-minded is our mindset is around the gospel and, and that the, the proclamation of the gospel. That's, that's the mindset that, that, uh, that uh, Peter is driving them to. Be of one mind that our purpose here is to reflect our Christ. Our purpose here is to proclaim his gospel. And we are to be in one spirit and one mind toward that end. We are to be, we are not to be, the idea is Christians are not to be in conflict with one another. I kid, I have a friend of mine, he's a, he's a member of the, uh, uh, shoot, I forgot what it stood for now. But anyway, a re, the General Assembly of Regular Baptists, he, he was a pastor in them, and you know, it's spelled GARB, G-A-R-B. So, you know, my acronym for that is the, uh, the grand, uh, uh, let's see, what is it says, uh, the grand army of rebellious Baptists. You know, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's how that's 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 how I, we, we give it give that back and forth to each other. That's not really true, but nevertheless, you know, nevertheless, that's that's the point here. You know, uh, the, the acronym for. IFCA, which I was a member of for some time, uh, was I fight Christians anywhere. You know, that's kind of kind of so, you know, but the, the, the unfortunate thing about those acronyms are that sometimes there's some truth in those things. You know, we don't need to spend all of our time now. We have to we have to. We have to direct our attention to heresy, of course, uh, but we don't need to be squabbling with one another all the time. What, what tears up a church? People inside. They, they start squabbling with each other. They're not like-minded. Their purpose isn't the gospel. I've seen this a number of times. I've been in churches where this has happened, and I, I know of other churches where this happened. A friend of mine pastored a small church where the two most prominent families in the church got in a fight over money. Guess where that church is today? Not on the map. It's gone. You know, destroyed it. Uh, my friend uh, did everything he could to try to get these two people to resolve, but it was about money. You know, and it ended things. We're to be like-minded. We're to be like-minded around the gospel. That's, that's the idea here. Secondly, he says, he says, be sympathetic. <clears throat> he sent out a sum up all. All of you be sympathetic. Um... Romans, Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 15, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are to identify ourselves with our brethren. That's the idea here. We should celebrate when something good happens for them. We should be just as happy for them as if it happened to us. And when something, something tragic has happened in their lives, we are to be in just as much mourning as they are over it. That's the idea here. We're, we're, to, be, we're to be sympathetic. Uh, literally, this word means to share the same feelings, to share the feelings as if it happened to you. That's that's the idea uh, that that Peter is suggesting uh, to these folks. Uh, <clears throat> we're, to, we're to share in joy. We're to share in jar, uh, sorrow. Uh, we are to under. <clears throat> We are under, we're to understand, we're to be understanding, we're not to be indifferent, we're not to be insensitive. Remember, uh, remembering that Christ, our high priest, 
is sympathetic toward us. He sympathizes with us. He identifies with our hurts. He identifies with our uh, shortcomings. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Only he did it without sin. That's that's the other side of that of that text. So we are to we are to we are to be sympathetic and we are to uh, not be insensitive toward others. Years and years ago when I when I first uh, found myself in a situation where the responsibility of a church fell on me because the chairman of the board resigned and the pastor resigned and I was next in line. I was far too young and far too unprepared for that, uh, unprepared for that, uh, for that, uh, for that assignment. But I, I learned an interesting thing there because I was kind of one of those task-driven guys, you know. You had your eye on the ball, and that's where you went. And I could run right past people and never even notice them because of it, you know. And uh, uh, my wife somehow although she hates any kind of leadership position or where she's got to be in front of anybody. She likes to be behind the scenes. She became the chairman of the women's ministry. And, and, and what she, uh, she discovered was that a lot of the older ladies were kind of just being left out. You know, they were just, there was a number of older widows in the church and they were just kind of left out. And so she got this idea to, to make a cookbook. And she, I mean, she drove those old, lady, those old ladies crazy, uh, demanding recipes from them. And every one of them said, well, I don't cook anymore. And she said, well, you did, you know. She even got one of the widowers to get his wife's recipes, and he wasn't going to do it. And he gave her five, I think it was. Wasn't it five? Ultimately, you know. And that cookbook, it was amazing what it did, because it made, made me realize that people were more important than the task at hand. You know, just the people were more important. Uh, it kind of, kind of crippled some of my insensitivity, you might say. You know, but that's the point here. We're to be, we're to be mindful of other people. Uh, we're to, we're to identify with those people in their joys and in their sorrows. We're not to be indifferent toward them. We're not to be insensitive. Thirdly, he says that we're to be brotherly. He just puts it that way, brotherly. That's the way he puts it. It's the concept of brotherly love, the, the Philadelphia idea. It is a derivative of agape. Uh, so it is that 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 love in which I will to love you. It's not some emotional feeling. It's 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 a, it's it's an action of the will uh, that I place value on you. Is the idea here? And and it's and it, it it's it's uh, and you notice back in in one chapter one verse twenty two, Peter had written. Yeah, chapter 1, I almost got the wrong chapter. One twenty-two. since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a love of the brethren without hypocrisy, fervently love one another from the heart. That's the idea of this word, a fervent love for one another without hypocrisy, no no putting on airs kind of idea about it. It's to be true, it's to be honest. All of the God's household are, uh, uh, are to be, we're to have an affection for one another. Why? Because we're related through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're family. That's, that's, the, that's the ultimate uh, idea here. And then fourthly, he says we're to be tender-hearted. Incidentally, this is kind of one of those words that in English, they make it a little softer. This word means intestines. That's what it means. 
in, 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 excuse me, in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, where it talks about, it talks about Judas when he uh, died. It basically says he broke open his intestines came out. It's the same word. It's the word that's used here. Uh, that's the idea. We use tenderhearted because that's kind of the way we, we relate it in modern English. The, the, uh, the Hebrews and the, the ancients, they understood it. Your internal organs. That's, that's how they understood this. In other words, you're, you're to be, it's, it's, it's an idea that this is to be an extremely powerful feeling. This is more than sympathy. This is a complete identification with. It's something that's to impact us emotionally. Uh, and, and, and it's to touch our affections closely. Uh, this, this has the idea coming off of brotherly. It's kind of building. It's, it's, you're to be sympathetic. You're to identify with. You're to joy with. You're to mourn with. You're to have brotherly love because your family, you're to be tenderhearted. That is, it is to get right to the basic core of who you are, is, is the idea here, the care for one another. <clears throat> One might say that we're to have a guttural reaction to things that involve our brethren, is is the idea here. Um, The situation of other brothers is to have a deep impact on us. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he was writing to them of of his feelings for them, he said this in chapter 2, verse 8, In this way, having fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our lives, because you became beloved to us. That's the idea here. He poured out himself into those Thessalonians. That's 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 what he's saying here. That's that's the idea. So we these are, these are the things we're to be. And now there's one last one he gives, and this one may be the overarching. One that is of absolute importance. He says, humble in spirit, literally humble minded. This may be the most all encompassing virtue in Philippians chapter two. Once again, in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. You know, that's not the world we live in. Uh, that's not what the world says. That's not what we see every day when we watch anything on television. That's not what we see uh, in our neighborhoods. That's, it's not this kind of idea. I'm number one, you know. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting over the years, having been in the military, but I was in the military at a time when they chose me. I didn't choose them. They, I got a letter. It says, greetings from President of the United States of America. You've been selected to serve in the armed forces of the United States of America. It's like you want a prize. And the next words were, you will report. That's, that was it. And from there on, I belong to them. You know, but that's the way it was then. Then you watched over the years. You know, of of how they how they how they did when my dad was in it was Uncle Sam needs you or Uncle Sam wants you is what it went to from there. And then it became things like be all you can be in the army, be an army of one, 
You know, all the emphasis there is all on the individual. It's all on you being more important. Incidentally, there is no such thing as an army of one. But anyway, but anyway, that's that 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 kind of idea. Uh, he's saying here. He's saying here. No, we're. I'm to regard you more important than me. And that's an important thing to remember. I'm, that's the attitude I'm supposed to have toward other people, that I regard them as more important, that my goals, my ambitions, my hopes are secondary in, in, a, in a very real sense here. Uh, that, that's the idea. Andrew Murray, in the preface, preface to his book, Humility, the Journey Toward Holiness, said this, We will see that just as Jesus found glory in taking the form of a servant. So when he said to us, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, Matthew twenty twenty six. He was teaching us the truth that there is nothing so divine as being the servant and helper of all. The faithful servant who recognizes his position finds real pleasure in supplying the wants of the master or his guest. When we realize that humility is something infinitely deeper than contrition, and accept it is our participation in the life of Jesus, we will, we will begin to learn that it is our, our true nobility and that to prove it in being servants of all is the highest fulfillment of our destiny as men created in the image of God. I didn't think I could come words even close to what he's saying about humility there. We are to see others as more important than us. That's what, ultimately, that's what Peter is saying here. That's what he's telling this church. We are in submission because that's what God has commanded, and he's also commanded us to take the position of a servant, a humble servant who sees others more important than ourselves, who has a tender heart for all of those within the family of God, who has a brotherly love for all of those, who has sympathy for those in pain and sympathy for those who are in rejoicing. Excuse me. And ultimately, we are to operate in the same mind toward the gospel's end. That's 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 what he's saying in this in this first verse, in this verse eight, not the first verse, but verse eight. And then he says, living to bless and to be blessed. I entitled the next section, verse nine. He says he goes on and he says, and basically here the idea is the humble person is going to operate this way Uh, here we're not just to have an interest in our fellow believers uh, but even those who are mistreating us uh, those who are not believers matthew 5 44 but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and then he says how you do some of that he says first of all in verse 9 he says not returning evil for evil that's the first thing he tells us he says you're not to return evil for evil what's the first thing you know I'll have to admit to this. I love action movies. I watch them, you know. You know what the theme of every action movie is? Revenge. Revenge. That's that's what it is. Revenge. Get even. Uh, that's the basic theme of every one of them. And, you know, it's kind of intrinsic. Somebody does something to you, I, I'm going to get them back. You know, that's that's the way that's the way we think and we operate as human beings. I used to work uh, used a guy that I worked with. He was one of the supervisors, too. He used to say, I don't get mad. I get even. That was his little theme. And he tried it. You know, I mean, that's tried to operate that way. It very often kind of hit him in the face. But nevertheless, he still stayed that way. Uh, but it's it's I don't get I don't get mad. I get even. Uh, this is talking. This is talking. It's an inherent. He, he's basically saying here, he says, he says, uh, uh, 
the Greek, this is in the Greek, this is actually a negative command. Because literally the, ver, the word says, stop doing it. And the intent here is, if you're not doing it right now, don't begin. And if you are doing it, stop doing it. Don't return evil for evil. If you haven't started, don't start. And if you are in the midst of it, stop. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't get even. That's really what he's saying here. You're to stop. Hebrews 10.30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And the hymn is God, of course. Peter, uh, Paul reiterates the same, this same idea in almost exactly the same words in Romans 12.19, where he, where he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So, here's the idea here. You're not to get even. That's God's job. And, and that's important, because our society tells us just the opposite. Evil here is not a word that just means someone uh, who has done something bad to you, his actions or his words. It means somebody who has an evil disposition. It has the idea of the quality of badness, literally, is, is the idea here. It's someone who is intrinsically evil, that's, 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 that's what he's saying here. He's saying, when you run into that guy and he's done evil to you, don't you become like him. Don't turn around and try to operate in the same manner, because it's contrary to the Christ who you serve, ultimately. That, that's the idea here. It's inherently, it's an inherent quality of badness. It's, it's someone with a wicked disposition. Uh, it's a schemer, someone who's just looking to do something. Peter begins with an overall, and then he turns to something more specific. He says, overall, don't return evil for evil. And he says, specifically, in your speech. That's the next thing. He says, he says or reviling for reviling. And once again, it's the idea, if you've started it, stop it. And if you're in the middle, if you haven't started it, if you started it, stop it, and if you haven't started it, don't. Uh, but he's saying, he's saying, reviling from revi- uh, reviling for reviling. Don't, don't, don't. In other words, don't get in a shouting match. Don't start yelling at each other and screaming at each other. That seems to be popular today. You, every time you turn around, there's road rage. You know, ranting and raving and yelling and screaming and then pulling out a gun and shooting. Uh, but nevertheless, that, that's the idea here. It speaks of abusive railing against or cursing or speaking <clears throat> or speaking, uh, uh, speaking evil of someone else. In chapter 2, verse 23, he told us, he, he, he cites Jesus as the example. Who did not sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Who being reviled, did not revile in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. In other words, we are to emulate Christ, who at the time of his crucifixion, who was treated and abused and misused, did nothing, <coughs> did nothing in return. What was that passage, John? It's First Peter two twenty three. Paul says, "Here's the right response." First Corinthians four twelve. When we are reviled, we bless. That's hard. And I'm going to tell you that's hard. You know it's hard. When somebody is all up in your face about something, you return with blessing. 
Instead, you, you, you don't respond negatively is the idea here. And Peter says, says, that's to be our response. We're to give a blessing instead. That's, that's what he says here. He, go, he goes on to say, he says, but giving a blessing instead. That's what he says. He and, P, he and Paul are on the same page. Well, they had the same author, you know. They, but giving a blessing instead. Interestingly enough, this word blessing is uh, the Greek word from which we get the term eulogy. Now, this doesn't mean, don't get me wrong here, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean when somebody who has, uh, cusses you out, that you kill them and then say something nice about them. (laughs) Don't get that idea. It doesn't mean that. It, uh, it, it means that you speak well of, of this individual. You praise them rather than condemn them. Uh, Luke uh, one forty two. basically there is a, an example of a eulogy. It's not based on the fact that there was some evil done beforehand, but it's where Elizabeth, when she realizes that Mary is carrying the Messiah, just burst out saying blessed are you among women and goes into that whole that whole speech it's that that's the same word it's a eulogy is the idea here it's a blessing some ways that you can bless is or some basis for that blessing is that you love unconditionally uh, that we love other people unconditionally as Christ loved you uh, that you pray for the situation of unbelievers, I mean, I suspect all of us have family members who are unbelievers that are on our prayer list, but do we have others as well? You know, the people we work with, the people we meet, uh, people we run across, people we have conflict with. Uh, you, pr- you pray for them. You take them to the Lord. And then you, you pray also for the sanctification of other believers. If you have conflict within, within the church, there's rules, there's regulations, there are words, uh, Matthew 18, to be followed. You go to them. You make them right. Uh, you know, those are those are the things that you do. You pray for their sanctification and your own, for that matter. Uh, you express gratitude, and ultimately you forgive as Christ forgave you. Those are those are the things that are involved in this. <clears throat> Jesus gave a, a good example of what he's talking about in the in the idea of forgiveness here uh, and and he relates it to, to God forgiving you and and remembering uh, he compares it to how God has forgiven you and how you were to treat other people in Matthew 18:21 through 25 you may remember this parable this is a parable where where the master calls uh, calls in his servants to to give an accounting and the one servant comes in and he hasn't been very good he hasn't handled things very well and he owes the master a whole bunch of money. And uh, he goes in and falls on his face and begs for forgiveness. And the master is gracious. He forgives him. He forgives him the debt and tells him to go his way. And the guy immediately goes out and finds another servant who owed him a little bit of money. And he has the guy thrown in prison and takes everything the guy has. When his master finds out, he calls him in. And the answer is, I forgave you great debt. And you wouldn't forgive a little debt. And the point is, how hard is it for you to forgive a little debt compared to the debt Christ paid for you? That's, that's, that's the point of that passage. And that's the point here. That's the point here. Uh, 
You bless, you forgive is the idea. And he goes on and he says, For you have been called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Now the Greek is ambiguous here. It could mean you've been called for the for the purpose of blessing others. Or it could mean you've been called for the purpose of receiving a blessing. I personally think, and I'm no real scholar in this, but I personally personally think it means both. Part of the purpose you've been called to is to bless others, and God intends to bless you. That's your purpose. Blessing surrounds you. I think is what what Peter is saying here. Uh, it's 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 a blessing. You've been called for this blessing uh, to receive a blessing and to give a blessing. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying here. Incidentally, in the Old Testament, the word blessing is closely related to and basically means the same thing as inheritance, which Peter has already talked about. The inheritance we have waiting for us. Uh, Paul has spoken of that inheritance in Ephesians. We've been blessed with every spiritual gift, all those kinds of things uh, that are that are that are talked about here. Uh, <clears throat> in First John four uh, nine through ten, John wrote, "By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And this is love that we that." Not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. It's that reminder. This is what God has done. This is the blessing He's given to you, and and He's and He's saying He's saying from that you have received an inheritance. That's that's the ultimate end here. You've inherited something. Understand, inheritance are not owed. Inheritance are a gift. Inheritance is not something you're necessarily due. This inheritance is not something you earn just because just because my dad left me something in his estate he didn't necessarily owe it to me in fact when my mother got sick he said there may not be anything left for you guys and my myself and my two brothers said that's not important it's your money and it needs to be spent on mom you know that's that's ultimately the end you're not doing inheritance you're not owed anything that's 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 the point you weren't owed salvation. It was a gift. It was an, a blessing. It was an inherit, and from it you have an inheritance. That's that's the idea here. In 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 uh, in, in Genesis twenty seven, uh, we have the blessing on the sons of Isaac, and the whole point there is he gave them the inheritance of the land. He didn't have to, but he did. That that's that's the idea here. Here the inheritance is our salvation, looking forward to its final realization. That's what he's saying here. You are to bless others, remembering the blessing that awaits you. That's that's the idea Peter's talking about. This is to be the attitude we're to have toward others. We are to behave in a certain manner amongst other believers, and we're to behave in an even stronger manner toward the unsaved. Well, not a stronger manner, but a like manner uh, amongst the unsaved, is what he's saying here. We're to have an attitude of being a blessing, not a hindrance. And then he goes on, and he talks about living in peace from there. And he's now going to go, he says, for. That's the first thing he says in verses, verses 10 through 12. He says, for. He's going to substantiate his teaching now by going to the Old Testament. 
That's what he's going to do here. He's going to say, this is not anything new. This isn't something I just grew up out of the back of my mind. This is what God has always intended. This is what God has always said. This is what he said to the patriarchs. This is what he said in days of old. This is what came through the Psalms. In this case, it's Psalms 34, verses 12 through 16 that he's going to go to. He's saying, this has always been this way. God stands and here's the evidence. That's, that's what he's, he's saying to them. And he goes into verse 10, and verse 10 says, <coughs> The one who desires life, to love, and to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. I think we just heard that. that Peter has just established that. <coughs> and if you go to Psalms 34, and you look at verse 12, the psalmist says, who is the man who delights in life and loves many days that he may see good? Uh, that's basically the same wording that he's bringing out of here. He's, say, he's saying the one who desires life, to love and to see good. The same idea. It's a positive outlook on life. The psalmist speaks of loving life. That one, that person there, the person who loves life, who enjoys life, even under persecution is the idea here. Ultimately, because the next section we're going to go to is about unjust persecution. That's where, that's where Peter is heading. That's where he's heading. Here, you're to live like this because you may face this. That's, that's the idea that he's, going, that he's going to express. And he says, he says here, the one who loves life, who has a positive outlook, because he knows the God of life. That's the point. He, he says, and then he goes on, and he, he, and, he, and, he, and he quotes verse 13. He says, must keep his tongue from evil. That's, that's the next thing he says. He must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, which once again is verse 13 of Psalms 34, where he says, guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. That's, that's uh, the same idea that he brings out once again. Uh, he says, keep your tongues from evil and speaking deceit. Uh, James 3, 6 talks about the tongue uh, uh, and, and, the, uh, and, and that it is uh, the dangers of the tongue. He says, Gen- six, the three, uh, excuse me, Gen- uh, James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very word of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members as that which defiles the entire body and sets sets the fire that uh, sets on fire the course of our existence and is set on fire by hell. Ultimately, there's the idea the tongue can speak evil. And that's what he's saying here. You're not to speak evil. The, the proper uh, the tongue without proper restraint corrupts and destroys. Both the speaker and the hearer is the idea that he's saying here. He's, he's saying that he's saying that's the idea that he's wanting us to understand. He says he keeps his lips from speaking evil. There's an, a commitment to the truth. This is the opposite of lying. It's deception and hypocrisy. <clears throat> that's that's the the concept that he's bringing here. What when you get in trouble? Just just think about this for a minute. When you get in trouble, what's your initial first reaction? I got to think of an excuse. Isn't that? Isn't that the first thing that pops into your head? You do something stupid and wrong, and you know you're in trouble. You're going to be in trouble for it. The first thing that pops into your head is the excuse. 
back a long time ago when I worked for General Telephone and Electronics in Santa Monica. Uh, I, w- I was a garage mechanic. And that's what we call what we were called. And I was bringing down this huge pole trailer. Uh, it had to be serviced. And it had these hubs that stuck out about this far on the side. And I was pulling it with a great big old forklift, which it, I was, the forklift was going backwards to pull this trailer, you know. And uh, uh, I wasn't really paying attention when I came by the shop. And there was a truck sitting there. It was a van, a Chevy van. It was a Chevy van, in fact. It was sitting there by the shop. And when I swung, I forgot about that hub. And I caught it at the rear tire and sliced that van open almost to the front tire. Oh, my goodness. Almost to the front tire. And almost threw it in my supervisor's window. He was that far from his window when it landed. And I went, oh, no. And the first thing that popped into my head were all excuses for why that happened. I swung it around, and I put it in the hole, and, I wa- and then I looked back. And everybody in the shop was out. None of them had seen it. I was the only one that knew what happened. Well, none of them had seen it. They were all out there telling each other what happened. You know, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, hey, this is just stupid. So I just sat there. I just waited for them to get done because they were all telling the boss what happened. And he walks over to me and he says, what happened? I said, you see that hub? And he said, he said, I said, he said, yeah. I said, I forgot it was out there. And I swung too wide. And I hit that van. <laughs> and he went, Oh, okay. And he walked away. <laughs> you know, the truth wins out. That's the bottom. He didn't even write me up. <laughs> he, just got the, he just got the truck fixed and sent it on its way. I was amazed. But see, no speaking deceit. There has to be a commitment to the truth. No deception, no hypocrisy. <clears throat> and remember here, the mouth, although he talks about the mouth here, is not really the controlling factor. Matthew twelve twenty four tells us, for the mouth speaks out of that which, which fills the heart, or i.e. the mind. In other words, the inner man speaks out through the mouth. And he's saying here, I think what he's saying here is there, there's an old adage in woodworking. It says, you know, measure twice, cut once. Um, I, think, I think there's an adage here, too. Think twice, speak once. Think before you speak, and think, and then think again before you speak. That's 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 what he's saying to them here. He says, "That's what he's saying. This is the way you want to live at peace. This is the way you live at peace. You keep control of your mouth, and probably keep it shut would be the best thing. And when you do open it, make sure the truth comes out of it. And then then he's going to give four imperatives in verse eleven. Verse 11 has four imperatives that he's, going, that he's going to talk about. He's talked about the mouth, but now he's going to say, he says this, You must turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Four things. Turn away from, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Those are the four things he's going to say to us here. And this comes directly from, uh, excuse me, from Psalms 34. Verse 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. I wonder where Peter got that idea. It comes right out of the Psalms. So he says, first of all, turn away from evil. Uh, Turn away is a word that equals a, a strong rejection of evil. That's the idea here. Stay away from it. Turn away from it. Don't let it be a part of you. This, this word is only used three times in the New Testament, this word for turn away. Uh, the other two times, one of it is it's used to say avoid. 
It's just simply avoid is the way it's used. And the other way, uh, the other one is uh, is to go out of the way to avoid. It even expresses it a little stronger. And so, so this is an idea of staying away from evil. Uh, just stay away from it. Turn away from it. Don't let it be around you. Avoid it. Is, is the idea uh, that he's saying here. It's a strong rejection of evil. Uh, and rather than do e- rather than <coughs> find yourself around evil, he says, he says do good. Uh, basically, this is a word that has the idea of that which is excellent in quality, is deep, it's cl- deep down, it's deep down clean, it's, it has virtue to it. And it ties back to verse, verse 10, to desire life, to love, and to see good days. That's the idea, you do good. You want to see good days? Do good. That's kind of, kind of the idea that he's, that he's expressing here. It means that our living should have good intent toward everyone. That's, that's the idea that is to be expressed here. The second two imperatives that he, he speaks of, seek and pursue, are tied together. And they basically have almost the same meaning. And they're descriptive of a hunter, is what, they are, uh, what they're descriptive of here, of a hunter going after his prey. It's an intense and aggressive pursuit and seeking is the idea here. It's not to be lackadaisical. This is to be intentional. It's to be aggressive. It's to be going after them. It's getting out in the brush and going. You know, and letting the stickers hit you when you go, if you've ever been hunting. It's, it, 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 uh, <clears throat> he's tracing down his prey. It's, it's, a, it's an aggressive hunt for peace is the idea here. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that's, that's what he's saying here. It's to be an active, aggressive pursuit and seeking. For the peace. And then in, in verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the faith of the Lord is against those who do, do evil. And he stops. He doesn't go on. There's more to verse 16, but we'll talk about in 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 uh, in, in uh, uh, Psalms 34. Because uh, Psalms 34 says, The face of Yahweh is against evildoers. Uh, in verse 15, he says, The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cries for help. The face of Yahweh is against evildoers. And here, here what we have are two different views of God. One is the believer. And what he is saying to the believer is this, the eyes of God are toward the righteous. In fact, Psalms 33, verse 18, if you just look across the page, he says, Behold, the eyes of Yahweh are on those who fear him, on those who wait for his loving kindness, to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul is patient for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Yahweh, be upon us as we wait for you. This is the eyes of the Lord. They're turned toward the righteous. That's what he's saying. God is looking for out for you. He is watching you. It speaks to the fact that God is an omniscient God who knows every 
facet and detail of your life. He knows where you are at all times. That's that's uh, that's what it's saying here. Uh, it, it, he knows and ultimately holds people accountable in, in this idea too. Uh, but but that's the idea here. He's, his eyes are on them. And then he goes, his ears, his ears hear our prayer for the of the righteous. Uh, <clears throat> He's talking about supplications or petitions here. Uh, it relates to uh, crying out to God when we need His help. Philippians four, uh, Philippians chapter four, verse. Ah. Philippians four, verse uh, six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That's the idea. That's being expressed here. He says, he says, God hears us. He sees us. He sees where we are. He sees the situation we're in and he hears us. And the idea is we can have confidence that God is always watching and fully aware of our circumstances. In Romans, he, he speaks uh, in Romans chapter eight, verses 26. He speaks to the fact that when we pray and I'm thankful for this, because I think a lot of my prayers don't make any sense. Uh, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings that we can't utter. In other words, he takes my stupid prayer and makes it right before God. That's ultimately what he's saying there. And then he goes on to say in verse 28, and we know that, that, that therefore all things work together for good for those who love Christ. That's, that's the idea that's going on here. That's what he's expressing here. And then he says, but conversely, that's the righteous. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those. Excuse me. He says, the face of, the face of the Lord. It's against those who do evil. Once again, it's that whole idea. He says the face is against them. God's anger and discipline are what is seen here. Uh, the angry face of God toward them is, is the idea that's being expressed in this, in this particular verse. It's, 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 it's against those who have rejected his word. Uh, I'm just reminded here of, of Revelation 16, the ultimate in that, in which in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, after the great earthquake, or as the great earthquake is occurring, the unbelieving populace hides in caves and they cry out and they ask the rocks to cover them. And it says in the text that they ask that because they want to be hidden from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. In other words, they know exactly who is after them. And yet they don't repent. Those are the scariest words in Scripture, I think. They're just frightening that, that people can be that evil. That even at the moment they're facing eternity, they're still rejecting God. That's, that's the idea. It speaks of judgment. It speaks of wrath. And it comes short of delineating that wrath and that judgment. But Psalms 134 or Psalms 34, doesn't. Uh, because in verse 16, he says, The face of Yahweh is against evildoers. That's where Peter stopped. But the text goes on. Mm-hmm. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
In verse 18, 17, he says, The righteous cry, and Yahweh hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the evils against the righteous, but Yahweh delivers them out of, out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Yahweh redeems the soul of his slaves, and those who take refuge in him will not be condemned. That's where Peter has gone in this text. He's basically said to us, look, you are to be in submission to authority. Uh, and in that submission to authority, you are to conduct yourselves in a certain manner uh, toward one another in the household of God. Uh, you're to be you're to be te- you're to be like minded. You're to think the same way toward the gospel. Uh, you're to be sympathetic toward one another. You're to have a concern and a care for one another. I think I missed one. You're brotherly. You're to be brotherly. Uh, you're to have a brotherly love for each other. And not only that, not only just to be sympathetic, but it is to be a deep, emotional, guttural response. You're to be tender-hearted, and you're to live in harmony. You're not to return evil for evil. You're not to speak evil against someone else. You're not to rile, uh, rail and be railed, but to bless, and as a result of that, receive a blessing. And all of this is summed up in what God has always said, because it's right out of His Word from the Old Testament. <laughs> It's not new. It's not new teaching. It's the consistent teaching of a consistent God who has his eyes and his has his eyes on you and his ears open to you. But for those who reject, they look at the face of his wrath. That's that's what Peter is saying here. That's what he's reminding us of. So as we are in the world today, may we remember those things. Uh, may, we, may we keep our minds set on the God who sees and hears us and who knows intimately what our needs are. Any comments or questions this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come to you this morning humbled uh, by your word. Uh, we, uh, we recognize that at times we fall far short of the standards which you have called us to. I know that I do. I don't contend to speak for everyone here, but I suspect I'm not alone in that. And Father, we ask that uh, you by your grace uh, and by the continuing presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives and the changing us from glory to glory, our sanctification, that we would come closer and closer to the standard you've called us to. That when that moment comes, whether by through death or rapture, that moment when we come into your presence, maybe it won't be such a great change. Uh, We look forward to that day, and we thank you that we serve a God who is intimately involved in our lives and who will make all things right. And we look forward to that final... that final statement of our salvation when we come into your presence and are glorified with our Christ. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.